doesn't seem like it, but it's hard work making sure this gets right in the middle. No, I'm just kidding. So we started talking about serving Flint, right? It, we didn't just choose it for because we did the food pantry yesterday. Um, Ernesto's not here. Um, Dallas Gatlin is executive director of Carriage Town, and we partner with them. They serve Flint greatly. We come alongside them when we can, and we've done revivals together that we were talking about in between service and uh, just reminiscing over how great those were. And they do a really good work in the community. And this is all part of serving Flint. And so this morning, uh, Dallas has been with um, Carriagetown for 14 years, and uh, he's going to come and, and give us the word today. Um, we love him. He loves our church, and we do a lot of good things together. So, brother, come up and give us the word. All right, I'm going to speak like Paul a little bit right now. Greetings, brothers and sisters from Carriagetown Ministries. Um, we do love Flint City Church. You are special to us. We only exist because God who does his ministry to those who are uh, homeless and living in, in poverty does it through his churches. He doesn't necessarily need Carriagetown Ministries. But churches in 1949, I think it was, uh, five of them gathered and rallied in Flint and said, we need a place where we can collaborate and provide a place for people to stay. And uh, the story be too long. Carriagetown.org, by the way, go out there, or Facebook, Instagram, and you, those of you who don't know more about us can do that. But I want to talk about Jesus today. We have one core value at Carriagetown Ministries, and it goes something like this. It's a good one. Um, Everybody you meet today, everybody you will meet today, is God's idea. Think about that for a second. Everybody you meet today or will meet today is a personal project of God. Uh, worthy of dignity. The only way they should lose their integrity is if they get it, give it away. And then, you know, we should strive to help them find it, right? Um, uh, we are neighbors in Carriagetown. We strive to be neighbors. Jesus said, love your neighbor. And so we strive to do that. We have a question we're going to explore today from Luke chapter 10, when an, a, a self-proclaimed expert in the law uh, stumbled upon Jesus and said, uh, hey, who is my neighbor? That's a big question, and we should probably find the answer to that this morning. There's so much to do as students of Jesus, and that's our highest calling. Um, one of them is to look at all of the things he gave us. He, he said in his Great Commission, remember what I did and remember what I said, and go be and do those things, right? So as students of Jesus, followers of Jesus, we should start to look more and more like him. And I feel like at Carestown, lots of times there's, there's folks that I meet who will say, man, I, I've just trusted in Jesus just now, but I feel like I've wasted my life, and I don't think there's enough time left for me to do something important or learn enough in service of him. And I would say this, Jesus always has an answer for everything. Sometimes it's another question, but he always has an answer for everything. And one of them was hanging on the cross next to him when he was crucified. I want you to think about that one man who lived his life as a thief, 
He probably had seen and heard about Jesus, maybe even bumped into him where he saw him heal somebody or, or uh, teach on something, right? But here's this man, uh, the scriptures would tell us at the start of this horrible process after Jesus had been beaten nearly to death and they're crucifying him, the two thieves on either side were both rail on it, railing on him at first. But the one was listening to every little word Jesus said as he was dying. And he said something incredible. He looked at Jesus. Think about this. He looked at this bloody man with his flesh torn off, being crucified. What did he say? Lord. Lord? Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Man, that takes faith, doesn't it? To believe that this dying man was going to come into a kingdom and after he died be able to remember somebody else and help take care of him? That's incredible. That guy wasted his life as a thief and he got saved in the last second. What did he accomplish in his life? We don't accomplish anything either unless we make ourselves available for God to work through us, right? God worked through that man. Let me tell you how. Here's what he taught us hanging there. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. I say to you truly, today you will be with me in paradise. Because what I told Nicodemus was true. He who believes on the one God sent is saved already. You must be born again. He was born again right there. How did God use him? How about this? Do you need to be baptized to be saved? Nope. He wasn't. God taught us through him. Do you need to take Holy Communion to be saved? Nope. God taught us through him. Do you need to do penitence? Do you need to do many wonderful works? Do you need to do all these things? No. Who does your confession need to be to? God. I would just say this before we get started. We're going to jump right into it. That if somebody in here this morning hasn't trusted in Christ yet, I would say this. What the heck are you waiting for? I mean, seriously. Like if somebody gave you a ticket to go somewhere that would save your life, and here's the bus, would you not get on it? It'd be crazy for the bus to pull out and you're left holding a ticket that was given you for free. So God invites you this morning. I know he does. The scripture's full of invitation. It's almost like from Genesis to Revelations, God is walking around with a basket full of bread, just throwing breadcrumbs out so that we might follow them. Those breadcrumbs are made of biology, chemistry, physics, theology, Sunday school classes, grandmas, Grandma's might be the most important one of all. Jesus had just sent out, in Luke chapter 10, just sent out for the first time 72 people, not 12, 72 people, and gave them power to preach and heal. When they came back, they were amazed that they were able to cast out demons and said, "Don't, don't be amazed at that. Just, you know... Praise God that you're children of God. To him who believes on Jesus, God gives the power to become the children of God. If you're trusting in Christ today, you are a child of God, and you're special. 
but you've also made yourself a Jesus student to whom he says, follow me. And people were following him on this day. The day after, he sent 72 people out, and they came back and reported to him. And it says, behold, now we pay attention, somebody came to him. Somebody with evil intent, really, uh, came to him. Let's read these words together, and I would exhort you to just let your minds go right to the Scriptures. So block everything else out, and when you feel yourself wandering off, just bring yourself back in, okay? Because what I'm about to read is really the only important stuff that you'll hear in this half hour. Right? And if we deliver this well, and if we pay attention well, and if we feed on this well, we can hide this in our heart, and it'll help us live a life that's pleasing to God and free from sin. So let's, let's do this. Behold, a certain expert in the law stood up and tested Jesus, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit, inherit, inter, inherit eternal life? That's an important question. He, do you think he was sincere? Not really. His motivations are stated right here. He was saying this to test Jesus. He was hoping Jesus would stumble in some nuance of the law of Moses or whatever. You know, like, hey, he's a merciful God. He'll just say, just, you know, be nice and you'll inherit eternal life or whatever. Jesus wasn't about to fall into this trap. The guy wasn't as clever as he thought. And Jesus said, well, you're an expert in the law. What's written in the law? You know, how do you read it? How do you interpret it? How do you understand it? So the man answered Jesus' question, who answered his question with a question, and the man says this, um, well, okay, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. Jesus knew something about him. When he said, when this man said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, Jesus knew he did not love the Lord his God with all his heart, or mind, or soul. And he certainly didn't love his neighbor as himself. His motivation was to trap Jesus. That's why he was there. Jesus said, you've answered rightly, do this and you will live. But then it says, wanting to justify himself, wanting to justify himself, wanting to justify himself, he said to Jesus, but who is my neighbor? Give me the list. It's certainly not Samaritans or lepers or tax collectors, sinners. It's not any of those people, right? It's just people who are of the Jewish nation and basically those who um, are righteous according to the law of Moses. Like, right, Jesus? Isn't that uh, who my neighbor is? Jesus knew this man's heart, just like he knows my heart, just like he knows your heart. I don't know if you've heard it said before, but when we come face-to-face -face with God after this life is over and we graduate, there's not going to be any yabbits. No yabbits. Well, yabbit, I was a Sunday school teacher. Or yabbit, I helped that lady across the street, I remember, when I was a Boy Scout. You know, I did this. I've done many wonderful things. And Jesus says to somebody with that heart, what does he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. Right? Like there is one way 
to get to the Father. There is one mediator between God and man, and that's Jesus. And the Bible says the work of God is to trust, to believe on the one God has sent, the Messiah, trusting in Jesus. And then the person who trusts in Jesus only then has the heart that's motivated, who loves God above all things, to, to be able to love their neighbor as herself. So we will not do what God needs us to do, what he called us to do, what he made us to do, every single one of us a project of God that he has a trajectory for us to be on. It's a curve. Looks like this. Is that right for you guys? Yep. And most of us are, you know, kind of wandering around down here somewhere. He wants us to be on this curve, this progression that looks like Christ-likeness, like growing in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, right? To become like Jesus someday. Wow, that's amazing. That's what he wants. How do I do this? How do I do this? How do I lose my neighbor? Well, Jesus answered him with a story, typical of Jesus, and now I want you to refocus and just hone in on these words. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's probably a businessman on a trip. And he fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead on the road. Now by chance, a certain priest came down, a man trained in religion, theology, the law of Moses, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now by chance, a certain priest came down on that road, and when he saw the man who had been beaten, robbed, he passed by on the other side, maybe thinking, I don't want to get involved. I don't want to get my head banged in. Robbers could still be in the bushes. So let me just let me not just not bother. I'm going to get on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, also the priestly class according to the Old Testament, when a Levite arrived at the place, he came and looked, and he also passed by on the other side. So far, the two people who you would expect to do the right thing did what? The wrong thing. Jesus is making a point. Certainly, religion is not the thing that you got to have in your heart to motivate you to do the right thing. But a certain Samaritan, what were the Samaritans to the Jews? Despised. They didn't know who to worship, what to worship, where to worship, and you couldn't associate with them. Just read John chapter 4 sometime about Jesus intentionally going through Samaria to meet this woman at a well who was there because she was a, a, a loose woman, as they would say. She had to go at noon because she had a reputation. And Jesus spoke to her, and she got saved and told her whole city about Jesus. Yeah, one of those people uh, was coming down the road, and it was that person. The person, he's telling this expert in law, the person you would despise as an expert in the law. He stopped. And he cleaned his wounds. And he poured his wine and oil on them. He had compassion on him. Bandaged his wounds. And then he took his own money out of his pocket. Took him to the inn where he was going to spend the night. It says, um, I'll just begin reading, on the next day when he departed, he took two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. That's about two days' wages. Just imagine what two days' wages would be for a person working today. He took two days' wages and gave them to the innkeeper and said, I'm going to continue my trip. Um, 
I'm going to continue on my way. He gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So, Jesus looked at the man then. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to him who fell upon the thieves, fell among the thieves? And he said, well, he who showed mercy, of course. Then Jesus said what? Go and do the same. Go and do likewise. In other words, Jesus said, stop thinking about the list of who your neighbors are. Go be a neighbor. Like the calling of Jesus uh, is for us to go be a neighbor. Think about that. Think about all the teachings of Jesus that that this lines up with. Um, Don't try to pull the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a four-by-four from Home Depot sticking out of your own eye. It's enough for you to take care of your own and don't nitpick at your, at your brother, right? And so don't be concerned about that. Don't be concerned about the list of who your neighbors are so you can pick and choose between the Samaritans and the leopards and the lepers and the people you like. And I said leopards. Did you hear that? Yeah. And we weren't talking about cats this morning. We were talking about lepers. And so don't, don't try to ferret things out like that. Just go be a neighbor, Don't worry that you might be inconvenienced unnecessarily because you're neighboring somebody who's not your neighbor. Man, if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, he's going to cause you to bump into situations and people um, that you're perfectly the one set up to go do the thing that needs to be done with this person who is a personal project of God Almighty. That's what he's calling for. And um, I remember once I was driving down the road in, in, in 75, and you know that place where the two Holly Roads are? I was going north, and if you see something after you pass the one, you've got about five miles to go before you get to the other one. And I saw a car on the other side of the freeway that was down, and there was somebody in it. It looked like they were helpless, didn't look like they had a cell phone. So I'm thinking on the way to this, this, through this whole five miles, I'm hungry, it's dinner time, I'm going home. You know, I'm, I'm working in Detroit, then I'm going home. It's certainly, they'll, they have a cell phone, they'll call. And God's not calling me. And it's just something weighed on me that I needed to turn around. So a lot of times when I do that, and I actually am obedient, I'll end up in a situation. But I go, I go to the next exit, and I turn around, and I didn't want to turn around, and I start coming back, and I get all the way back there, and the car's gone. And it was like God just said to me, I just wanted to see if you'd turn around. That's it. Just a little, just a little lesson in school today on the Jesus school bus, right? We are, li- we are actually in school. We are. And that's the way we should look at it. And if you're a good teacher and your student messes up, your, your heart's desire isn't to punish them you know they're going to mess up because they're learning new things, right? If we're a grandma and, and our grandkids are starting to learn to walk and they take the first step and they fall down, that's joy, right? And if they start walking and they bang their head on the table, you, you want to make sure they're okay and then you want to say, get up, let's keep going. 
that why would we expect God to be anything else? So if you have a voice in your life that's saying, oh man, you sinned, you're worthless, you might as well give up right now, you might as well just, you just, you know, uh, yeah, just forget about it. It's like, that's not the Holy Spirit. That's not the voice of God. Once, when I, when I, was, I was saved when I was 12. Yes, and I am watching the clock, right? So you will get home on time today. Um, when, I was, when I was 12 years old, I had a grandmother who had passed away. And the first thing I learned about death, right? We did not go to church on Sundays. I was, had a great family, but we weren't a church-going Christian family. Uh, so I had no experience with that. But in fifth grade, some organization called the Gideons. Is anybody ever familiar with them? They're the ones that put the Bibles in the hotels and stuff. A Gideon came to our fifth grade public school class and handed out Bibles. And I had that little Bible. And I started reading it. And I kept reading it. And I fell under conviction. I didn't even know that word yet. I fell under conviction. And in my bedroom, looking out the window, we had eight kids, so it wasn't just my bedroom, if you know what I mean. But I'm in there by myself, and, and I read the book of John, and I'm in John chapter 3, watching Nicodemus uh, talk with Jesus. And in that, in that few minutes, God saved me. Just like that. No priest, no Levite, no pastor, just me and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, right? God can do amazing things. And when, when he did that, I made up my mind, I'm going to read the Bible every day. And for my whole life, pretty much I've done that. But when I was in, I'm telling you a story for a reason. When I, when I was new, newly married to my wife, uh, it was a Saturday morning, and we had a busy Saturday, and that night we were going to bed, and she turned the light off, and I'm getting ready, ready to turn the light off. This is how we discern whose voice is really from God. And I turned the light off, and I thought, oh, no, man, I didn't read my Bible today. I wasn't a legalist or anything, but I was under conviction by something or somebody. You didn't read your Bible today. I said, well, but that's okay. I said, no, it's not okay. Yeah, it's okay. Now, you should get up, you weakling, and read. So I pop out of bed, go out in the living room, and start reading. And then I remembered, I got up at 6 o'clock this morning and read for an hour. So I closed it up, prayed, and went back to bed. You know what that taught me? It taught me that every voice that speaks to us, that pretends to be God, is not God. That was the voice of an enemy trying to steal the joy from me of reading his word, right? And so in, 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 in this time, in this story, we have this man come along. Jesus is teaching, and here comes the joy stealer, you know, and who asks a legitimate question. What do I need to do to get eternal life? And nothing, really except to believe on the one God has sent, to trust in him, to trust in him. And, and he didn't know that. I don't know if he knew, knew it when he left, right? But for us, it's like honing in on what does that word trust mean and how do I get to the point where I'm trusting Jesus and trusting him as a student and following him? The word trust is really, really important. Remember this old story a fellow told me 
He said, there was this guy at Niagara Falls, and he had a wheelbarrow. He was a tightrope walker, and he put, you know, you know this story? He put the, the tightrope across one of the edges of it, about 100 feet, and he started walking across there with a wheelbarrow full of bricks. Clapping, carrying on, clapping. And then he did it again and again and again. And finally, as he's coming back, his eyes met this one guy who's just, man, that's fabulous. I wish I could do that. Man, that's amazing. He goes, oh, sir, do you, you think I can do it again? Oh, of course. I just saw you do it like, I don't know, 10, 15 times. All right, you believe I can do it again? Yes, I do. He goes, okay, get in. Now, believing he can do it is watching him take those bricks. Trusting that he can do it is getting in the wheelbarrow. Right? Jesus wants us to get in the wheelbarrow. And part of getting in the wheelbarrow is being a neighbor. And the biggest part of being a neighbor is following Jesus in a ministry of inconvenience, really. The most inconvenient thing you could do is to be an eternal spirit with God, the part of God, the Word of God that speaks, the part of the Word of God that yearns to communicate, the Word of God that said, let there be light, and there was light, and spoke everything into existence. Yeah, that part of God became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth, John chapter 1. In him was life, and that life is the light of mankind. It's like if you trust in Jesus, you follow Jesus, then his light illuminates all of your decisions, illuminates all of your temptations, illuminates all of your learning, and illuminates who your neighbor is and teaches us to just go be a neighbor. That's what Jesus did over and over again. We have, we have examples of specific examples of him uh, helping someone who could not hear, hear again, could not see, see again, could not walk, walk again, raising people from the dead, even before Lazarus, right? John chapter 11. But yet, he's calling us to be like him, to be a neighbor. And that's what he wants. So, who is my neighbor? Everybody. Everybody. But what's the more important question? Am I going to be a neighbor? Am I going to be like Jesus? The thing that we want, the thing that we should hang on to, really, is being like Jesus. We should yearn to be like Jesus. I shared this earlier um, in the early service, and that is that for, for a parent, there's nothing that your kids can do, if, if you have kids, then for them, without you being around, to help one of the other siblings. Man, that's just a great feeling. Knowing that everybody we meet today is God's idea, we should want to re reproduce that feeling in God. Like part of laying up treasure in heaven is making God smile. Part of laying up treasure in heaven is trusting in Matthew chapter 6 when Jesus says, when you do your good 
deeds, when you do your good works, do it in secret, just between you and God. Don't do the selfie. Don't do the T-shirt. T-shirts are okay. I know the Rock Church and Flint City Church like T-shirts, right? Um, that's not what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. It's like G- Jesus said, when you do it for credit among men, you're going to get some accolades. But that's it. So don't do it like that. Sometimes you might do it. Sometimes it's going to get find out, found out. Sometimes somebody else is going to tell somebody. That's all right. But for you, just nurture, and me, we should just nurture that secret conversation with Jesus when we wake up in the morning, morning by morning, like, I want to do something today that just you and I know about. I want to make that phone call. I'm going to write that note. I'm going to send that email. I'm going to visit that person. i got something else I want to do today, but I'm going to set that aside, and I'm going to take the best lamb that I have, my time, and I'm going to do something for you. You don't want to be the basketball player who's, you know, on the bench, number six, seven guy. Sorry for the sports analogy, and sorry for basketball when it's football season, but I, but I persist, right? Um, who's sitting on the bench, and the star player goes in for a shot, lays it up, and gets fouled, but twists his ankle, can't shoot the shots. We're down by one. I got two shots to shoot. Gatlin, get in there. I just, I, I just want the jersey. I just want it to be in the yearbook. That's it. I don't really want to, I don't want to really risk missing the shots. You know, I've heard it said, and we are getting to a close, I've heard it said that if God wants you to go be a missionary and you don't go, lost people aren't going to get saved. I don't believe that for a second. God's, God's going to get his work done. It's just not going to be you. Like, my, my coach isn't going to say, oh, we got to quit, we got to forfeit, because Gatlin won't go in and shoot the shots. He's going to really quick go down the bench to the next person. You don't, you don't want to be that. You don't want to be, <laughs> believe me, you don't want to be Gatlin, right? You want to, you want to go in and shoot the one. You want, to, you want to be a neighbor. When we wake up in the morning, we, we should take all those voices as soon as we know we're awake and pray and say, God, help me listen to your voice today. Help me discern your voice. Help me to be a neighbor today. We should say, give me Jesus. We're going to end, but not like we did in the morning because you're a singing, you're a singing group. I could tell. So we're going to do something very liturgical. Instead of pray our way out, we're going to sing pray, all right? So I'm going to sing something, and you're going to follow me by singing the same thing. You ready? We're going to blow the roof off, and then we're going to go home. <laughs> In the morning when I rise, In the morning when I rise. In the morning when I rise. In the Give me Jesus. Raise your hands with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. You are dismissed. Yeah. <laughs>